0: Well, hello, audience. Welcome to another edition of CHP Talks. We're here today with special guest Alex Shaddenberg. We're going to be talking about euthanasia, about Bill C seven, and about hospice care. So, uh, Rod, why don't you uh, introduce our guest today, Alex Shaddenberg?
1: Yeah. Well, we're very uh, pleased and blessed to have Alex with us today. Alex is the executive director of the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's also the chairperson of the EPC International since November of 2007. He's the author of several books, uh, participated in producing some good films on the Euthanasia Deception documentary, Um, Exposing Vulnerable People is a book of his, and he's uh, a world traveler, or at least a world speaker. He's spoken in Australia, has been invited to a number of other countries, uh, New Zealand, Hungary, Switzerland, Belgium, and most of the U.S. states. So, uh, anyway, we're pleased to have him here today on CHP Talks. And and Alex is a great friend to uh, the pro-life movement, both from uh, conception until natural death, and certainly the last few years. There's been a lot of focus on uh, eliminating the vulnerable, the elderly, and those with disabilities, and that is where Alex has has really uh, been uh, a bulwark against that uh, that um, terrible uh, movement in our society to get rid of people who we find, uh, you know, the old, uh, using Hitler's term, uh, useless eaters, which we don't uh, share his point of view, of course. But uh, uh, Alex has been a great defender of innocent human life. So Alex, thank you for joining us today.
2: Thank you. Now I've provided quite a bit of information, but I wanted to uh, make sure that everyone uh, watching this uh, this presentation knows that we do have a PowerPoint that can be sent to you, so that's fine. And if there's any questions, uh, you'll have you'll be receiving that uh, PowerPoint information and information also how to contact any one of us if you want more information. So this is uh, be a bit interactive that way. But uh, we have we're going to cover some key topics fairly quickly, which is uh, this euthanasia bill C7 in Canada. Uh, what's going on with the Delta Hospice Society in Delta, Delta, British Columbia, and uh, what's happening with COVID-19, etc. I'm going to go through this information fairly quickly with you. Now many of you know that we legalized euthanasia in Canada officially then in 2016. The bill was passed, it was Bill C-14, was passed in June of 2016. What happened is, is that the bill had several things within it that, uh, uh, that were being challenged. One of them was this whole thing about natural death being reasonably foreseeable. So the bill said that you could only have euthanasia if your natural death was reasonably foreseeable. Now, this was a crazy sort of idea because all of our natural deaths are reasonably foreseeable. Nonetheless, uh, this was brought to court, and a Quebec Superior Court Justice Baudouin Uh, struck down that part of the law in September of 2019. Now, what did this mean? This meant that when you strike down the part of the law that says your natural death is reasonably foreseeable, that meant that people who were not dying could have euthanasia. Now, that was happening already anyway, but, I mean, you didn't have to be dying at all now. So what that means is that the previous, the original law, which is still in place, says that, you could die by euthanasia if you have physical or psychological suffering. So you have to understand psychological suffering is not defined by the legislation. The caveat was that your natural death had to be reasonably foreseeable, which was sort of like a hold back. Now that that's been struck, it means that anybody with physical or psychological suffering that they deem, so it's its personal, not right. Uh, uh, societal perspective that they deem unacceptable so what happened is, is that the federal government and the Quebec governments did not appeal that decision so the decision even though it was a lower court decision never went to the court of appeal which is a very s- wrong thing to do you have to appeal these decisions even if you agree with them simply because they become then precedent right so this is what's happened on February 17th then the federal government asked for the, an, ex- an extension because they were given uh, only uh, six months to then implement a new law, but we had just gone through an election, right? And so they were given till July 11th. And as you know, uh, the government never implemented uh, the bill because of COVID-19. No, that's good; they haven't implemented the bill. The bill is actually a disaster. On uh, February 24th, they introduced Bill C-7. On June 11th, they asked the uh, the Quebec court again for another extension, and now have been given to December 18th. 2020 to implement a new law in canada now let's get this clear they don't actually need to implement a new law because how things work whether i agree or not doesn't matter how things work is once the quebec court struck down that section of law and it was not appealed that becomes then the law therefore uh as of now december 18th 2020 whether i like it or you like it it doesn't matter we we're totally opposed to it nonetheless uh One's natural death does not need to be deemed reasonably foreseeable, okay? The government said that the extension uh, 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 was uh, not finished because of COVID-19, and in fact, that's a good thing. A parliament has also said that they're not going to renew debate on any issues until sometime in later September. So now you have to start putting this in perspective, what's going on here. They're only debating issues related to the COVID-19 and the finances right now, and um, they have. Uh, Also, um, this whole question of when there's going to be committee hearings, receiving submissions, we have no idea because they're not coming back until late September at the earliest to deal with anything like this. So what does Bill C-7 do? And this is very important because Bill C-7, according to the court decision, the court decision only required a lot of change That would then eliminate that your natural death had to be reasonably foreseeable, which is not an only thing. That's pretty serious, actually. But in fact, what it did is it went far beyond that, Bill C-7. So Bill C-7 permits a doctor or a nurse practitioner to uh, also then lethally inject someone who's become incapable of consenting. This is a very interesting thing, what it did. So what it said is that some people have been approved for euthanasia who are capable of consenting, but then in the process between the time of being approved and actually the time of having someone come to inject them they became incompetent so what bill c7 does is it says it doesn't matter if they become incompetent uh if they were approved we can kill them now you have to start thinking about what this means this means that somebody loses the right to change their mind. That's what it means. So there's that Dutch case, the case in the Netherlands that went to the Supreme Court about the woman who had asked for it in her power of attorney. She'd asked for euthanasia if she were in this situation. And what happened is, is the doctor came to do it. The woman was incompetent. They asked, she said no, she said no. And so what happened is they put a sedative in her coffee, she continued to resist, so a family member held her down as she was injected. This is the kind of thing that would be allowable under Bill C-7 if it were to pass, okay? Because once, she's, once she has been approved, she loses the right or he loses the right to change her mind. Now remember, we're only talking about semantics here. You're already allowing killing. Right now, we're just talking about the rules around killing. Let's be very clear about this. Right. Bill C7 also waives the 10-day waiting period. So that means somebody could go to the doctor having a bad day, ask for euthanasia, and die in the same day. It's a bit of a ridiculous concept if you think about it. As, ma- as much as we talk about the Netherlands and Belgium, etc., they do not allow euthanasia the same day. And uh, this bill would allow that. But then what it did is it created this two-tier situation. It said, well, if your natural death is deemed reasonably foreseeable, which is ridiculous because all all of our natural deaths are reasonably foreseeable, then you can die without a waiting period. But if your natural death is not deemed reasonably foreseeable, so let's say you have some chronic condition, but you're not in any way dying, then you would have a 90-day waiting period. So what's crazy is this would allow anybody to die by euthanasia who's experiencing some chronic conditions, so long as they are willing to wait the 90-day waiting period. Uh, What it also does is it creates an inequality in the law. Now, if you know anything about Supreme Court decisions and court decisions that we've experienced over the last since uh, Trudeau brought in our Charter of Rights, once you have an inequality in the law that usually gets challenged and struck down. So by putting in a two-tier law, they actually created a system which will get struck down by a future court decision. Uh, Bill uh, C-7 though claims that it will not allow someone with mental illness to die by euthanasia, but it's a false claim. So what they did is they put in the definition that mental illness would not be considered a disability, disease, et cetera, which means that you couldn't ask for euthanasia for mental illness, you would say. It, this, the bill, the, le, the language of the legislation, does not define psychological suffering. Mm. So by not defining psychological suffering, in fact, it is not eliminating euthanasia for mental illness, because mental illness can be defined as psychological suffering. You see, you have to define the language if you're going to prevent something, and in fact, it doesn't do that. So in fact, it's all a lie. The government did some polling, and they found out that Canadians did not want euthanasia for mental illness. Therefore, they put this caveat in the bill, but by not having a definition, in fact, it doesn't actually accomplish that. This whole reasonable death thing is actually another serious problem because what does it actually mean? There's no definition for it. So, in fact, we're, we're going down this road to becoming uh, very quickly the most, how would you say, permissible killing regime in the world. Because cool. the Netherlands and Belgium, as much as there's so many problems going on there with the killing by euthanasia, they in fact have tighter controls and definitions than in fact Bill C7 would allow. Cool. When Bill C-14 was implemented, we made it very clear that at the time that uh, this is the kind of thing that they're heading for. But in the bill, it said that there had to be a mandatory review of the legislation. So that mandatory review was supposed to begin in June of 2020. Well, as of the recording here we're doing, it's July of 2020, and we've not seen a mandatory review. So, I'm sort of wondering where this is all going to go. Is the government actually interested in a mandatory review? Are they actually interested in an open, how would you say, examination, a truly free and open examination? I'm not sure, but I will tell you something else. And I know all of the people watching this have some political uh, astute nature to them, or they wouldn't be bothering with all this. Trudeau is actually very high in the polls right now I'm not saying he should be, I'm just saying he is You can see it every time you look at the polls He has a minority government Is it not possible That we're going to have an election this fall? I think it's very possible Now let's look at the issue of the Delta Hospice Society I know I'm, time's moving pretty quick In 2018, February 2018 uh, The Delta Hospice Society Which is an independent organization Independent charity In the Delta region of British Columbia They were told by Fraser Health that they had to offer euthanasia. And, of course, Delta Hospice refused. And then again, in November 2019, Fraser Health told them that if you don't offer euthanasia, you're going to lose your funding. And, in fact, uh, Delta Hospice uh, uh, has pushed back. In December of 2019, so the month later, it was actually only a couple weeks later, Adrian Dix, who's the health minister for British Columbia, said, we will remove your funding if you're not going to offer euthanasia now remember this is an independent organization this is not a government run organization this is not let's say uh delta hospice which is run by fraser health it's an independent organization that's receiving funding from the province of british columbia and then in february of 2020 uh, adrian dix the health minister for bc said that uh, we will withdraw your funding as of february 2021 if you do not do euthanasia now let's think about this an independent organization being forced to do euthanasia against their their uh, beliefs. So what the Delta Hospice Society responded to is they, just, they decided to call a meeting of their, of their membership and ask them to change their constitution to make them uh, what they historically were, even though it wasn't in their constitution, which was a Christian um, uh, faith-based organization. They were founded that way. They've always been that way. It's just that it's not in their constitution. So by adding that they're a faith-based hospice into their constitution, they would not be forced to do euthanasia. And what's happened is is that a a local uh, member of the community took that to court and they sadly won the court case saying that the Delta Hospice couldn't call this membership meeting uh, unless they allowed memberships to be fully available to people um, across the region. And now there's this battle going on with that whole question. So what do we do with this situation? Well, it's a ridiculous concept that an independent organization is forced to have to do euthanasia if it wants to receive government funding for, for uh, caring for people, it's, it's a ridiculous concept, and this is the sort of way that things are going. And uh, it also tells us we have to be very concerned about hospice palliative care. So what else am I going to talk about then? Well, I was going to I'm going to jump by this whole thing about the euthanasia as an essential essential service. I'm going to tell you a story. We got a call from somebody, and it's a, uh, I talk about COVID-19 and what's been happening and the protocols. And the protocols were very discriminatory. Now we're sort of past that problem, but there was a lot of fear of our hospitals getting overrun. So people were being denied medical treatment. So if you look at the fact that in Canada, 81% of all COVID-19 deaths were nursing home residents. That's a ridiculous number considering that the second highest country in their numbers was like 40 something percent of, of their deaths were nursing home Residents, so it's 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 a uh, it's a really blown out number. So what's happened in Canada needs a massive investigation. But I got a call from someone saying that uh, their uh, relative was uh, someone who had uh, uh, dementia, and they were going every day to help feed their relative, and they loved their relative. The relative was obviously feeding normally, and uh, someone would come in and do that. But then COVID-19 hit, and they were denied access to the nursing home. Now that sort of sort of makes sense because of course. You don't want people passing COVID-19 to other residents. Nonetheless, nobody fed that relative. Nobody fed that relative. So that, that, she was talking, actually it was her father. She said her father lost 35 pounds and near the end, the nursing home convinced the family member who was in charge of making decisions that what we should do is just provide morphine and not bother with feeding and uh, because i would end the suffering now at that point the father was really skin and bones no one was feeding him he needed assisted feeding no one bothered so i call this a different type of COVID 19 death but let's think about the concept of what's going on in our culture that this is happening and i tell people you have to be capable and willing to care for your loved ones in a culture like this We have a culture of loneliness and isolation and a culture of abandonment. And this is where we're at right now. And this is why euthanasia has become so popular. While we can think of ourselves as being a post-Christian culture and what the effects of that is, but we have this other factor that even in our post-Christian culture, which is a serious problem, we actually also have this other problem of loneliness, isolation, and abandonment. And a lot of people are feeling that euthanasia becomes like an only option for them. And, and I talk about the data around that. And that there's a, within this loneliness, loneliness affects your health. And so I've been talking to a lot of people lately about the fact that how do we change this culture? How do we uh, deal with this issue of euthanasia and assisted suicide in such a culture of loneliness, isolation, and abandonment? And we have to recognize that we have to, first of all, recognize that we have to care for our own we have to recommit to being with people. We have to recognize that even our Christian friends might sometimes lose hope because they might become depressed by their own situation. They might they might also feel no purpose in life. They might come to a point where they've become so darkened and, and uh, their blinders have gone on because of the reality of their life condition, Because not because they're terrible people or they've rejected God, but because they're a human being who feels that their life has just ended. And you might say, how could that be? Well, because we're human. We're weak. We need each other. We're made by God to be uh, codependent, to be with others. And this is how we are. So we have to really recognize that how do we protect uh, societies? We first do that by protecting our own. And then we have to recognize the need to go out and be with those who we know. This is a very important thing. How do you stop euthanasia and assist the suicide in this culture? Well, we can't count on the law right now. Um, You can't count on this government. That's not going to happen. I don't know what the next government's going to bring us. I have no idea. I'm not clairvoyant, so I don't know. Um, But I don't know if it's going to be that much different. I can tell you that there's things we can do, yes. But I can tell you that a caring society will make a difference. And that's how our early Christians were how they made a difference in the culture. And that's how we need to be. We need to carry a care- culture that cares and a culture that does not kill. And that comes from people who care and be with others. Uh, and I say this to you because um, many of us would say that we're gonna be shocked in the future. We're gonna say, well, so-and-so, I heard they died by an assisted death. How could that have happened? This was such a wonderful person. Sometimes people become so down in their isolation and in their emotions and in their human frailties that they make decisions that they would never otherwise make, and guess what? the cheerleaders will be there to make it happen, and that's the sad reality here, so we have to recognize the importance of how we care for other others you know so these COVID 19 uh, protocols have opened this up to us even more what's going on in the world, so I'm going to say so what's the bring back? Uh, Bill C7 can be defeated they're going to tell you it has to be passed because of the fact that um, well you know there was a Quebec court decision, but remember. Whether we agree with the decision or not, it becomes law anyway, mm. because it wasn't appealed. Bill C-7 goes far beyond that. It's a very dangerous concept here. It can be defeated. Uh, these, uh, and Secondly, there might be an election, which mm. might stop. But also, you know, once elections are called, everything goes by the wayside for a while, um, we'll see what happens. But what I can say is that silence isn't helping us. Uh, we must be loud about that and very clear about that. And in the culture itself, we must recognize that we are now called as a people who have faith to recognize how we truly care for the other. That's what we're called to do because there is no other way to provide protection and care in this cultural milieu, if you want to say that, uh, other than me caring for others and being there with others. And that's, there's no other way to do it. And uh, if you guys have anything to comment on, I know we're near the end of the 20 minutes.
1: Well we're going to carry on cuz you've got this PowerPoint that you're still going to go go through.
2: Uh, I just went through it with you okay. whether it's that we can email if anybody wants to see the PowerPoint we can email it to them. Okay. I, and I, there's more actually more in the PowerPoint than I actually went through. I jumped through it because obviously um we have a time frame and I want to, want to honor that. So
1: Okay. I was I was sort of waiting for you to say now we're going to start the PowerPoint. I knew you were It's
2: okay, Rod. I've been going through it. It's all good and okay. um If anybody wants to see it, we're happy to send it to them.
1: And 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 you're happy to send it to them. Of course, help the uh, people on the uh, podcast who will only hear what you have to say. And you've said a a tremendous amount. One thing that uh, I thought deserves mentioning is that the government talks about it's concerned about suicide, like the ordinary, old fashioned kind of suicide where someone loses hope and then they go kill themselves. And the government has always talked, oh, we've got to do something about that. And yet the government itself has become a facilitator of suicide. And that's uh right. tragic.
2: Now this is actually let to be clear also, like a lot of people a bit confused about what the law allows. The law is actually allowing homicide. Euthanasia is lethal injection. So when we legalize euthanasia, we legalize both euthanasia and assisted suicide. Assisted suicide is when we provide the drugs and someone takes it themselves, which is a form of suicide, whereas euthanasia, the doctor or nurse practitioner actually is injecting you, which is homicide. When someone says to me, oh, it's my body, my choice, Alex, uh, don't stand in the way of my rights and say, well, wait a second, what are you talking about? You're talking about giving a doctor or a nurse practitioner the right in law to lethally inject me, to kill me, which is homicide. Um, I'm not saying there's anything good about suicide I'm not saying there's anything good about assisted suicide but homicide is just the next level over and this is what we're talking about and it's a pretty serious case because it's also what you call addictive Uh, we talk about suicide contagion there's a euthanasia contagion not only for the fact that people are doing it someone else did it so it must be okay but then for the doctor who does it uh, how would you say It becomes something that you – so there's a power to it, right? There's a feeling of, look what I did. There's a a contagion to it.
0: Yes. And you're – by putting doctors into that position of – well, some of them are effectively being obligated to kill regardless of their conscience. Yes. Um, and uh, it's really bringing out the worst, right? It's gonna eat away at the souls of doctors who are already extremely stressed in the profession and uh, now facing this huge moral conundrum. If they put it aside, um, it will, you know, eat away at their conscience, eat away at their soul, and if they actually try to deal with it, they're gonna be told that they have no choice in some cases, right?
2: Right. Um, We should actually do a show on that if you haven't already, which is the whole issue of the conscience rights question. You might have done a show on that already. Uh, The fact of it is is that uh, in Ontario, it's the worst because uh, doctors are told they they don't have to do the act, but they must do what they call an effective referral, which is in fact being complicit with the act.
0: Right. Yes. Any of you who are listening or watching and want to know more also about the Delta Hospice Society, the communique from CHP this week was on that topic. So go ahead and read up on that as well. That's on chp.ca. While you're on our website, if you're not a member of CHP, please become a member. And uh, Rod, Alex, do either of you have a final thought before we uh, sign out here? Uh, Go ahead, Alex.
2: Well, the ridiculous nature of all of this is that what started as the concept of freedom, choice, and autonomy, which was a lie, it's not about freedom, it's not about choice, it's not about autonomy, it is about abandonment, yeah, absolutely, it is about abandonment, has become the pressure upon people to actually do an act, which is where you have the Delta Hospice Society, physicians being told they must do an effective referral, you also have the situation of people, what do we do with people who are, let's say, in the northern territories or things like that, who are asking for this network? We're having to be uh, forced to be complicit with this whole thing by sending them and being part of it and paying for all this money. for It's all become um, an ingrained nature within how we kill in society rather than how we care.
0: Rod, did you have anything you wanted to add to that?
2: No,
1: I'm going to uh, put up the final slide of this uh, PowerPoint anyway uh, so that people can get the information how to contact Alex. Uh, and of course, they can uh, contact us as well. Just hang on a second here.
2: Just put it back up. It was up there a second ago. Yeah. And uh, the fact is, there it is. And the fact is that they can email me, or they can email you, and and I did the PowerPoint just so uh, we would have information for people if they requested it. Right. Well, lots of calls. Uh,
1: okay. We, I it's, it just right. Tremendous that you uh, were able to share with us today. We appreciate your time, Alec. Um, we value you. Sorry, now that's my phone going off here.
2: So I say we, we bring this wonderful presentation to an end as our phones keep ringing and um, okay. and anybody has any questions or concerns, we could do another show again on another topic.
1: All right, and we will point uh, available to anyone who wants it. Uh, And here's your contact information for Alex, and of course, you can reach us at CHP.ca. All right. Thank
0: you you all for listening. Thank you all for watching. God bless you. And we hope that you'll join us again next week for another edition of CHP Talks. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Rod. Thank
2: Thank you. you.